Oh, we are back from hiatus to cover Season 5, Episode 1, Wilderness. Why can't I do something that's just for me, for a change? That's a quote from Tony Soprano in this Season 5, Episode 1 of The Sopranos, entitled Two Tonys, written by Terrence Winter and David Chase, directed by Tim Van Patten. They got the A-team on this one. Glad, First of all, glad to be back with all yeah. of you. I'm Chris D'Amato. Yep. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And uh, you got all four of us here for season five premiere. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, I just want to say that uh, we've been getting some fan mail about Lily. Yes. So she's been upgraded from occasional guest star to recurring. Yay! <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, recurring. yeah, recurring. So you're not going to be on every episode, but you're going to be on with us more frequently because the fans uh, demand it, despite my every effort to <laughs> keep you out of this operation forever. I made it, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and, this is, and this is your first premiere with us, which is so cool. Oh, yeah. fun. I didn't yeah. realize. Because we usually get you at the end of the season. It's much yeah. nicer mm-hmm. to have you here at the beginning, yep, too. Yep. Yeah. Thank so, you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Lily will be buddy. joining us a little bit more frequently than normal, which is great. And uh, yeah, season five, episode one. I love this premiere. I think it's a hell of a way to start the season. Season yeah. five was my favorite for many, many years. It still holds a place in my heart. I loved this. What did your initial impressions of season five? Well, actually, it's, it's funny that we're coming back after a longer than usual hiatus to do this recording because I was reading my Sopranos lore, and apparently there was a big long wait for season five there was. of The Sopranos back in 2004 yep. as well, Yep, which is really interesting. I don't know. It was an interesting no, parallel. No, it was. It was. So, hey, look, we're giving you the authentic experience of having to wait longer than usual for season five. <laughs> See? At least we didn't abscond to Paris for a year, which was what David Chase did between these seasons. It's is that fun. why it was longer? So, the first three seasons were like bang, bang, bang. 99, 2000, 2001, seasons one, two, and three. And then he just, it was the carte blanche. It was like, I know people will wait for this, so I'm going to take my time. Sure. David Chase would, like, go to France for a year and just oh. kind of chill out between seasons. Was there a writer's strike or something in here, too? Did that Not happen? Not that early. Me? Well, Not that early. When okay. was the writer's strike? That's something that maybe... I actually don't know. Too. And I know there were, have been multiple writer's strikes, but I thought there was one well, specifically. Well, the there was the big one, but I think It was the early 2000s, because Lost was on the air in the middle of it. I remember... Uh, so, yeah, that might be worth doing a quick Google search. Some of those lost riders should have stayed on strike, I think. <laughs> the oh, rim shot! The viewers should have went on strike. Uh, That's a sick burn for oh, 20 like, years 2007, ago. 2007, 2000. Oh, okay, okay no, this right. is way too early for that. I'm sorry. My no, bad. That's okay. Well, yeah. I know nothing about history. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so David Chase uh, started taking his time more, and whatever that reflection that has on the show. Look, I don't think a lot of people understand how much work goes into running a show like this. It's your life. 16-hour shoot days, writer's room meetings craziness doing a show like this and you have to churn out so much content in you know a 90 minute movie sometimes they'll take two three months to shoot but these not like one hour episodes they'd have to get them done in like 10 days so it's pretty outstanding the work that was done here and plus you're uh, under the thumb of hbo and that is a big thumb that's a big thumb but if he took a break and we ended up with season five Six part one and six part two. He deserved the break. Thank oh, yes. you for taking it. Absolutely, of Absolutely. course. We appreciate. God, it. yes. It was just rough being a fan in this time because you just you're clamoring for so much more. Yeah. And, uh, I do remember my parents being kind of pissed about it. It was. I unusual. remember it was a certain time of year. And I even remember my dad like blustering about being like, ah, oh, this is usually when the Sopranos are back. I don't right. understand. What am I supposed to watch? Yeah, exactly. And also... What am I paying for HBO for or something he would right. say. You know? We didn't have the same amount of access to content 
then that we there do wasn't now. as much good content. Right. You know, we're spoiled now because now right. every show is prestige drama. Exactly. There wasn't as much of that back then. So we, you know, even if you're really into like say House of the Dragon, you don't mind waiting two to three years because you're gonna get Succession, Stranger Things, all of these shows. There's so many shows now that they can do shorter seasons and have longer gaps between them because there's always some new shit coming out. But back then it was like, what is replacing The Sopranos in 2002, 2003? I'd argue no one has replaced them yet in 2023. But even so, <laughs> uh, this was good. I, I enjoyed this. There's a lot of things we're going to touch down on here. The class of 04, the current state of the marriage, the family, uh, Tony's pursuit of Melfi. This is a fun one. Some dynamics in this episode are so new actually that it almost makes me think this is something of like a pilot for a different sopranos universe with the influx of new characters um again these changes in the way the characters interact other things seem like variations on old themes like carmela and tony fighting like they're still living together tony even though there's a difference in the aesthetic fundamentally still going to melfi for comfort Mm. um once again like the pilot the image of animals coming into Tony's backyard, mm-hmm. though very different. And the du- the whole, I'm a sucker for, like, images of doubleness. So the two Tonys concept, it's great, it's well done, it's surprising, it's fun. Right away, I think we get the sense that this show, this season, rather, will be more fun than the last season, even though there's plenty of dark stuff. Lily and I are going to start preparing right away for long-term parking. But we're already, I think, in a more fun dynamic right away. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I also think there's, um, listen, uh, season four, which I adored, was tonally so dark. And it was already, I think it's already apparent that maybe at least to start season five is, I don't want to say hopeful, because God knows this show goes to some dark places. So I think (laughs) I would be naive to say it's going to be suddenly light. But we enter with lightness into this season a little bit. They, they, uh, it's not like they hold our hand here, but, uh, I agree with Paul. It feels like we're on new ground. We're, we're doing some exploring, which we haven't done in a while. Things feel new. They feel different. Um, and they also feel uncertain. And, and that is certainly projecting out from Tony. Um, you know, we're tied, titling today's episode Wilderness, a sly reference to our bear and the, the wilds of the world, but also like, yeah, something about this doesn't quite feel like the Sopranos we know. And that is cool to come into. Mm-hmm. To that point, Getting into the first few moments of the episodes here, interesting music choice. It's, again, new territory. This is a little unusual for a starting Sopranos montage. Uh, but what I like about this is it relates to exactly what you guys are saying, is we're getting a lot of imagery in these first few seconds that are re- that are deliberately designed to bring us to different points in the past of the show. It's autumn. Things look dead. Things look still. So it's kind of like... This old Sopranos you knew is is dead and in the past. These this is a shot of the two chairs by the pool where Tony Carmella had a very memorable loving scene in season one. It's a, it's a husk. There's dead leaves blowing. The pool which housed the ducks during happier times, closed off. That's covered. There's nothing on it. The duck food is just sitting there rotting in the in inside. What's ahead? Heaven only knows. It's interesting. It's a great <laughs> the way house to is, The house is unmanned, unguarded. Yeah, exactly. And of so. course, the great tradition that kicks off a Soprano season. I love the shot slow pan down to the driveway. Oh, oh is he going to be getting the newspaper? Nope. Meadow's just going to run over it. <laughs> yeah. What's so cool about those images, too, is that unless you're a real Sopranos fan, you don't really get the significance of those mm-hmm. uh, images, right? 
the barbecue pit. That's, yeah. That's, that's big for us, you know? The, the newspaper, that's big for us. Like, these, the, the pool that is covered, right? It's like, hey, it's everything familiar that you know, but it is strange now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. You know what I got a little bit of the vibe of? Uh, I, I hate to bring up something kind of nasty right at the top, but it's like, <laughs> during the lockdown, you know, I would walk through my neighborhood, and there would be nobody around. It's like, where have the people gone, mm. right? And I was watching this uh, this opening of The Sopranos, and I was just like, wow, everything looks the same, but nothing is the same anymore. There's just mm. no one here. It feels uninhabited. Huh. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. And to Jordan's point, Jordan astutely titled this our episode, Wilderness. This is The Soprano House, but it's not. Uh, it does not feel like home. Right. It's not inhabited. It's not. It doesn't have that warmth. Feach comes back, they say, welcome home. And I was like, what is home? Mm. What and who is home, right? So that I think that's another part of this that we're feeling a bit lost here. It's very good. It, it creates a very interesting atmosphere in the sense that the catastrophic unmooring of the Soprano household at the end of season four had has has a lot of residual effects, and we're dropped. Uh, we're led to believe a significant amount of time, at the very least. Uh, half a year to a year has passed between seasons. This has been a pretty significant chunk of life that has gone by. Uh, Can I point out a fun detail? Please. Meadow shows up in her car and it's filthy. Yeah. What an interesting detail. Where was she? Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's just an example of like the Sopranos has an answer for everything. And what the fuck is she listening to on the radio? Oh we... yeah, <laughs> really, truly terrible. Good question. Yeah. Yeah, we come back into a lot of things like that that are not quite explained. Yeah. Um, I did notice, you know, Carmela has a new haircut. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, other things we'll go through. But, yeah. you know, yeah. It was, was, like, the, was the fancy car also a gift from Tony also to assuage his guilt? Probably. Mm. Right. I, I mean, much like the class of 04, who's coming back into life after having been away from a while, we've been away from the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we... We don't know. It's like, uh, we're going to open up the window again into these people's lives, but their lives have gone on without us. Mm-hmm. Turns out Meadow is picking up AJ to go to Sunday dinner at the Bacalieri residence. And a lot of info dropped in this first scene at Sunday dinner. First of all, the Sunday dinner tradition is continuing. And it's Bobby and Janice. We've been led to believe that Janice is not the cook Carmela was. Yeah. And uh, I love AJ's reaction to canned clam chowder. (laughs) Go sick, (laughs) goddammit. Janice is great there. So let's talk about... What I see are the two big boom drops in this scene. One, we have the class of 04. By the way, that's Matthew Weiner as the crime reporter on the television. Oh, fine. Uh, yeah, Matthew. Yep, yep. And uh, he, of course, is... The hot really, new writer on the show. Yeah, he yeah. made his bones, uh, in my opinion, on The Sopranos. Like, really solidified himself and then went on to create... Mad Men. Mad Men, yep. which was... Actually, Lily and I are going through again right now and is blowing my mind. He submitted the Mad, the Mad Men pilot and David Chase read it and gave him the job. Um, and then he referred to working on The Sopranos as going to Harvard. Wow. Cool. Um, That's fucking outstanding. And yeah, he's, he's so perfect because like the academic class, this show loves to give it to the media chattering class. <laughs> These annoying people. Yeah. Right? I'd um, say we're looking at a good year for crime reporters to Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you got a favorite thing in the worst, these TV news people. Um, but anyway, back to the, the actual story here. Two big drops in this informa- of information in this scene. One, we have the class of 04. We'll get into the individuals uh, talked about in this news report shortly. 
and Bobby and Janice, my wedding ring. This is my house. Mm. This is not just a budding romance now. Like I said, significant time has passed. They're married. Anyone I've watched this with the first time gets to this scene and finds out that they're married and are just like, oh, no, he went through it. They're married now. But Bobby's just sitting back watching with Tony. They're watching this news report. Tony seems like fidgeting with single life. Janice is, seems a bit uncomfortable with married life. Yeah. 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 It's my house, but then she's lost her wedding ring. She's tense, you know. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the class of 04. We have four people coming out of prison that are we have to assume are immediately going to have some kind of impact on the soprano land. And yet again, this relates to the theme of we're in new territory here. They discussed the mob crackdowns of the 80s, which were a real thing that happened. The FBI really started uh, taking down the mob as they were in the old days in the 80s. But these guys got 20-year sentences. Sentences are up. We have two people coming back to Jersey and two going to New York. In New York, we have Phil Leotardo. As of yet, a mysterious personality that we are uh, yet to get to know. Who we only see is played by Frank Vincent, notable Mobland actor. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, Angelo Gareppe, who we are told is the former consigliere to Carmine Lupertazzi. And then in Jersey, we have Michele Feech Lamana, who has been a character of Soprano gangland lore uh, in previous seasons. This is the guy whose card game Tony and Jackie April robbed. That inspired Jackie Jr. to attempt something similar in season three. Right. He who was made before the electric light. Isn't I that a great line? It's a great line. Mm-hmm. I've never great forgotten movie. it. Yeah, yeah, And Tony Blundetto, who we find out is Tony's cousin, played by notorious Steve Buscemi. So Steve Buscemi has done some directing on the show. I guess he wanted in as a cast member. And Tony Blundetto, who is... We find out more about him perhaps in a subsequent episode. But we immediately have a... Oh, two Tonys. Our title, right? Yeah, and Buscemi, this is 2004 Buscemi, so by now he's a bona fide movie star yeah. coming to the series. So this is mm-hmm. uh, kind of reminiscent of, of Joe Pantoliano coming to the series. This is like, it, it feels, for me especially as the more casual viewer, being like, alright, this was the next big Hollywood get that they got for the show. So mm-hmm. I'm already expecting big things from him. Sure. And though two completely different characters, I think to me this is like test run for Nucky in Boardwalk. He went on to start Boardwalk. Boardwalk started in, what, 2010? Yeah, about yeah. that, yep. Yeah, and Terry Winter's writing this episode and creates I, Boardwalk. I think he wrote Pine Barrens as well, so I mean, they're they're getting, to, or worked on Pine Barrens, so they're all getting together. Yeah, it's all interesting stuff. This is the first, maybe most obvious reference to two Tonys. At the end, again, very, like, nerdy and kind of annoying, but fun. Matthew Weiner says it's the old everlasting fight against crime and corruption to quote Superman. Right. <laughs> Superman is one of two personalities. Yeah. Mm. One which projects strength and authority, the other which is meek and projects no authority. So let's put a pin in that. It's going to come back. Mm. Carmella comes home. AJ's playing drums. This is, again, new. That's unusual. not annoying at all. Carmella, after not sending anything to a Sunday dinner she wasn't invited to. What a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your mom didn't send anything? <coughs> Genesis. Does she owe you anything? Yeah, Janice was hoping to God that some of Carmela's <laughs> cooking made it to the table. And... God, that is so bad. <laughs> she was out with Roe. Tries to get AJ's attention. He won't stop drumming while she's talking to him. How was it? Fine. They're having bullshit. Like, AJ clearly would rather do anything else than talk about Sunday dinner with her. What'd you have? Roast beef. Wants him to take the power vacuum from the pool house. 
he doesn't want to do it. He should. Well, he's just gonna have to. Your father, you know, grandpa's just gonna have to put it in his car anyway. I don't want him to have to lug it. Whatever. They're bickering. It's so nice to have a man around the house. He says, "Should have thought about that before." Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna have yeah. his father's way with respecting women. Yeah. Very. He's just coming into the season already a fucking asshole. <laughs> he is definitely projecting big asshole energy here, and this happens unfortunately in divorces where a kid will blame a particular parent and side with a particular parent it's sad but clearly aj has resentment toward carmela for the situation in which they find themselves uh even though to me this is a bed of tony's making but correct this happens this is a real thing that happens in divorces but she uh she presses her power as the parent and makes him go do it and then we hear mommy very different AJ, yeah. Yes, yes, all of a sudden she goes out and we see the bear. The bear has crept its way into the yard. Oh, Mommy! Yeah. He's par- AJ is paralyzed. Pure aggression. Uh, when she runs back in the house, he goes, Mommy? <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, it, yeah. It it's funny, very darkly but funny. What is what is this reaction from him? I yeah. really, really tried to put myself back in time and I said, all right, Jordan, you're 16 and you see a black bear in your backyard, and your back bear, I don't know, moving garbage around or something. I, I'm i sure I'd have a strong reaction. I don't know that I'd break down in tears and cry out, Mommy. Like, that's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Am I being unkind? No. No, no it is a lot. AJ's no. not a tough kid. He has no street toughs. He has no, none of the, you know, he's a very sheltered, chubby, son of a tough guy. He has no life skills. Yeah. At all. He thinks he's going to die. I mean, he has n- he, Go yeah, get he, dad's gun. He, he freezes, yeah. If Tony were here, he might have had a different reaction. That's true, too. Mm-hmm. Good point. You have to think about that, but... I yeah. just... Uh, I, I, but I, I... Maybe I'm being uncharitable. I don't know. I, I see being frozen in fear. I mm. see running away. I see calling for help. I just don't see breaking down in tears and reverting back to childlike form and calling out mommy... <laughs> specifically you know what i mean like yeah. that's a lot of stuff there part of the, this episode might be about the parts that the, again the two tony's concept the parts of us that we don't deal with and the parts of the, that we don't want to deal with because they speak to a sensitivity and part of it might be that aj's life as you guys have said is so ensconced that he's not ready yeah. for anything even remotely like this I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but it's it's a very good question that why why is this reaction this big? And of course, it plays so wildly against his tone with his mother, which was so mean and dismissive. Right. Um, to regress to a very childlike status. Um, Anthony is long for Tony. I mean, there's two Tonys even in AJ. You know. Very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the devil, he is at Valentina's. The I think Paul referred to her as the like tedious Gloria <laughs> last season. And we are in the tedium, aren't we? How yeah, do you yeah, like yeah. that olive loaf? Probably not too much. <laughs> Tony is not eating as well, is he? He's not. No, he went from not. canned clam chowder to banging this chick, which is probably what he what was nicest about it. And then she fed him, and he's got an overseas call with who? <laughs> right. You know what he likes? The Gouldens brown mustard. <laughs> Which I, I, I eat, love that line. I eat anything to take the flavor out of what she actually made. Right, yeah. Um, 
The overseas call. Did he pick that up from Allen last season? Mm. Oh, that's, Ooh, that that's a great catch, Jordan. Sappinsley said that, right? Yeah, he did. I have an overseas call. I'm like, Tony doesn't have an overseas call. That's a Sappinsley. They're still drawing parallels between Tony and Sappinsley. I love that. That's fucking great. Which means we can hear more from Allen Sappinsley. Well, he learned every line. I did. I did. I did. Understudy. I like the Golden's brown mustard. That's fucking funny. Um, we're cutting back and forth kind of quickly now. They don't do that a lot. They don't, no. Uh, it's deliberate, I think. Yeah. I think it's between like something that is frustrating about both spaces. About Certainly something very incomplete in Tony's life right now with this woman. She's not, she's not a great cook, obviously. He's not interested in her as a conversationalist. I had a mm-hmm. woman who was... I had a shrink who was a woman. Too bad you didn't get all your talking done with her. <laughs> I mean, I invested in this Prince of Tide image with, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think the scene, though short, clearly just shows he's... This relationship has already run its course of whatever this is. Um, it's a really a sexual relationship. There's really nothing more to it. Um, he, he is not fed by this in, in more ways than one, right? So yeah. we know that uh, he's open to getting away from this, right? So that, yep. will, that will be some of our episode. It does seem to me, I find this funny and, and charming and Sopranos-esque irony and playfulness, not that this thing with the bear suggests to Carmela that she wants Tony back at the house or needs him or anything like that. It just seems a very funny and annoying way for her to be reminded that things are simpler with Tony. Because Tony would have got the gun and shot the bear, and now they have the most ineffective law enforcement agency in the history of the world <laughs> coming in saying it's illegal to discharge firearms in the borough limits son and she can't admit that it would be simpler that way because as lily said at the end of last season she has realized she needs to take care of herself she needs to be self-possessed so i just love that she's like <laughs> having to deal with all this shit and on top of it aj saying you should have busted a cap in his ass and like get dad's gun and all that stuff. Um, It's like, I just, I love all that. Yeah. Um, So, and intercutting it with Tony, with Valentina and what's frustrating him and what's, Mm -hmm. as Jordan said, what's not feeding him. It's effective. Yep. It is a double edged sword. You know, women do go through this where like, you know, you want to be a strong woman and chivalry who needs it and all of that. And then a spider's on your wall and like, what do you do? Or a bear is in your backyard. And then you're like, man, men kind of are kind of nice to have around, right? She's dealing with this in a really large way. It is more complicated because she's used to having to deal with her purview. And now she's kind of dealing with both. Yeah. The show is doing a nice job of showing us both sides of how these two still are reaching out for each other in a way, but they're, they're not. They're clearly not ready to come together yet or ever. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, this character will be back, this uh, New Jersey fishing game. I have had experiences I don't necessarily want to talk about on a public podcast. But with I've, fishing I've, game? With, like, New Jersey wildlife officials that I... <laughs> what did you do, Chris? <laughs> I mean, anytime I... There have been a few... Look, I'm a homeowner. You know, there have been... We had a squirrel come down our chimney and get stuck on our flue. We have birds that live oh, in our no. kitchen vent. like, And they're the most useless, unhelpful... I, I did, I'm doing exactly what I said I didn't want to do. But let's <laughs> just say I feel like they are very accurately portrayed in this show. And I thought a little bit of a parallel for the FBI as well. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, they really yeah. can't do anything. They can't catch. Oh, they didn't really... 
it, it's not enough for us to set traps, so it's not enough for us to, they haven't done the thing yet, it's like not a threat to, so. We can't like, do anything. like, this is the FBI. Yeah, yeah, we can't do anything, you can't do anything, have a nice life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they don't, they don't have a solution, but you can't solve it either. It's very, yeah. Uh, I love it. They don't even have whistles. <laughs> Buy some new lanyards. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. They uh, seem to allude to uh, the duck food. Uh, your husband's duck food may have attracted it. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, too heavy for now? I don't know. Symbolically, what is this bear? I was just going to ask the same thing. In writing, what is this? Is it bear just a bear? What is this? It's not oh. just a bear. No, no, it's not. I guess because the, the bear was ducks, and we've gone we've right. turned into a bear. What is so a bear? Something. It's what is big, a bear? It's big. It's hulking. It's well, dangerous. It's wild. Uh, you know, my my low branch interpretation would be like, okay, I guess the bear is Tony, or more is it the absence of Tony? I I don't know. That's about as far as I can get. You're right. It's both. It's both. It? It's yeah. two Tonys. In plot, it's the absence of Tony. In analysis, it's kind of Tony. Right. Right. Um. And if you poke him, even if he's trying to project gentleness, you get the bear. Mm. Right? That's what Melfi finds out, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I think you I think it's both. Yeah. I agree. I agree fully with that. I mean that's all that's what we have to go on right now, is that uh, you can kick him out of the house, but this threat looms large over this homestead always and forever. Yeah. There's another animal Most I thought densely of. densely populated state in the U.S. and still this. <laughs> she says that, yeah. yeah. My, my, I thought of another animal. I thought of a wolf. I thought of wolves um, because uh, because of the expression, keep the wolf from your door. But I, I, I thought, like, you know, this often happens to women, maybe men as well. I, maybe I shouldn't uh, be gender specific. But I, I think sometimes a man and a woman, they get divorced or separated or whatever. The man's not in the picture anymore is what I mean to say. And then all the bad guys that this woman has tried to keep out of her life start to come around again, right? All the guys who are lecherous or who weren't good for her in the first place, or maybe guys that weren't in the picture previously and now are bad and have, have bad, you know, intentions. There are no men for Carmela in this episode. That's not exactly, so it's, it's not exactly right, but it, it, it is almost as if the bear could represent it, anything dangerous that could come by now that Tony is not there. It could be the bear, essentially. Well, yeah, her layer of protection is gone. Right. Right? To bring on these men or a bear or whatever it may be. I like that. Mm. Something. Moving on, Tony and Valentina. Valentina slipped in the channels. Tony's getting dressed. She comes up on Prince of Tides, which is an early 90s movie with Nick Nolte and Barbara Streisand. Not hard to see the parallel here. It's about a man who falls in love with his therapist. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Tony's watching it, and he does have this kind of silly little smile on his face. He's yeah. watching Nick Nolte's character get angry and storm out, and he's talking about masculinity and how women are more devious than men. I mean, it's it's all, it's almost so on the nose, you, you can't believe the parallel. It's the really doctor cool. that Streisand, Streisand directed that movie also, I think, and she plays this Dr. Lowenstein, and in the book she says, you feel your mother betrayed you? Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, also, when I think uh, later, I think Melfi, to her credit, has faced some of these things, even primordial stuff. At the beginning, I found him a little sexy, the dangerous alpha male that's how I would assume Nick Nolte was at one time considered sexy. I wouldn't have considered him like necessarily like a debonair, handsome man, but a gruff, mm. tough guy, a bit dangerous, definitely uh, 
alpha, that sort of thing. Um, maybe there's that uh, sexual dynamic. That's a pretty painful movie, by the way. And at the end, Nolte's character has fallen in love with Lowenstein, but feels he needs to, with what he's gained from the insights with her, he feels he needs to go back to his family and put it together again, his wife and his children. And he laments at the end of the movie in narration that we can't live two lives. Mm. Wow. Right? Two Tonys. So. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good movie, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very painful, as I can <coughs> um, But Great pull for this episode for all of the reasons just articulated. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Tony wants back in therapy. At least that's what we, the viewer, might be thinking initially. Uh, <laughs> and then Melfi gets a flower delivery the next day. Very cute. The Tide detergent in the flowers. He is cute. Your Prince of Tide. He doesn't That's sign cute. it with That's a name, cute. but she knows who that is. Sure. And then we cut to, we're going to get some of the underlings. Paul and Chris are far enough removed from their adventure <laughs> in South Jersey to be sharing the story. And this looks like a fun little uh, outing at the Bing, the kind of thing these guys would joke around about after some time has passed. And Is this a little meta? Is David Chase having some fun with us? Because I think so. These yeah. were water cooler conversations. What happened to the Russian? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I no, also it's... love that their their recollection of events, even from each other, is totally different. Yeah. Yes, I thought of you, Jordan, actually, because Chris. One of the things Chris says is he's in his he's in his pajamas and a sweater at eight, eight degree weather. He's shivering. I was like, he was in those clothes. He was not shivering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like, this is warm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then this spins out into an argument when Chris says, you know, Polly had overreacted, but it's one for the books. And Polly, wait a minute, overreacted. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then they really, uh, the, the key, the, the undercarriage of resentment between these characters starts to boil up. It didn't take long, did it? it? Oh, it, it oh, not went from zero to 60 in, in a flash. Always playing that blood relation card. Tony's little favorite. It gets pulled apart. And uh, Chris get, well, Chris leaves, telling you right now it's finished with us, Paulie says. Doesn't bode well for these guys, but uh, it kind of speaks that there's more lurking beneath the surface with Chris and Paulie, uh, some some lingering issues and resentment. And It was uh, a nice reminder, too, right at the top of the season that this is right. not over. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Tony has a phone call with Melfi. I see you haven't lost your sense of humor. How you doing? They catch up a little bit. Tony tells her that we're separate. He and Carmela are separated. Melfi's expresses sorrow. I always thought I saw some good things there. And then Tony, rather than taking it in the direction he should and saying, "Well, how about getting back in, back to this?" asks her out. I says, "I want to ask you out for dinner." I waited a respectable period or whatever, <laughs> and she responds very intelligently. Well, then you yourself can see that there's something not quite right about us dating. Melfi gives the expected line you would get from a doctor. Maybe not the answer she wants to give in her heart. We'll get there. But no, I'm sorry. This this isn't appropriate, Anthony. And but uh, I want to I want to leave the door open that we can come back. I think she says that in the next scene. But Chris, he is not undeterred by this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then the, uh, still the cute and the playfulness. Leave it to Doctor Tony. Yeah, exactly. It ends on a playful note. I'm not undeterred by this. And thank you for the top flowers and the detergent, of course. What's wrong with me? I don't know. We'll find out. Leave it to Dr. Tony. Click. Uh, thoughts on this? Trying not to project too far into... What about this uh, development? How, 
Tony asking Melfi out. And they're in a situation where they're not in, they're not in active week-to-week therapy. We know there's always been tension, feelings there, whatever. We know since the end of last season that he needs her, right? He called Melfi. Uh, she suspected it was him on the phone. He doesn't actually say anything. He hangs up, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we know that there's the need there. You know, obviously this will mature throughout this episode, but it's, um, uh, I think it's him trying to finally follow up on that need, but not really knowing what that need is. Mm. I think because he's got the simpler interpretation, right? He's like, well, it's a sexual need, but she knows it's going to be more than that even already. Yeah, I mean, she nails it, right? Like, he wants to come back to therapy. It's all very clear, and he doesn't, you just said it, you know. He doesn't know what that feeling is because he's not emotionally intelligent enough to know that, like, missing Melfi does not have to be romance. That can be, I miss the support, you know, the, the you know, all the things she does, a therapist does for their patient. And, yeah, I got nothing really dead. Yeah, I mean, I think he's looking at Valentina and saying, I'm not getting it here. Right. Because right. he wants the brain. He wants the heart. Mm. You know, and that's, he doesn't have those things. And I think that's, Melfi's the only woman in his life that has these things that isn't Carmella. Correct. I don't want to get too ahead of us here, but I think that, again, this, I I love the image of doubleness, the two Tonys, and I think there are a lot of different twos, be they Tony and the bear and all that. And I think the other doubleness, I guess what fancy-ass people would call the Jungian dynamic would be the light side and the shadow side maybe what we want to project into the world versus what we deny Mm. both of those things are part of us but there's two of them and what tony projects here is actually fairly casually asking her out that belies i think what is underneath which is i think fairly desperate that he needs help and it has to do with feelings of needing love Mm. and I'll speak with feeling here. When you are a particular kind of spiritually busted up, hurt, broken, it's not to say you can't love. I don't mean that. Or that you couldn't fall in love. But I'd say one is susceptible to the emotional, the emotionally vulnerable feeling that this person, in Tony's case, Melfi, and only this person can make me whole. And that's not fair to yourself or the other person, really. Yeah. They can't do that, even if they wanted to. Right. Um, so I think it, it is that projection. And ultimately, what Melfi could do is help Tony professionally, absolutely. Mm. And as Elliot Kupferberg will show us, she's the only one who can. Um, <laughs> but I think, so, and I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily criticizing Tony. I'm speaking with some experience because I've been susceptible to that sort of thing. So I understand why the mistake is made, but I think nonetheless it's a mistake. Well said. I'm not touching that. Yeah. Progressing on here, AJ's drums, I wrote LOL, his drums are already annoying the shit out of me. I can't imagine Carmella. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She goes running past his door. The bear, stay there. The moment the words stay there out of her mouth, he bolts out of his seat and follows her. Uh, I like that moment where she's locking the door, and he's like, "Oh, are you locking the door? Do you think he's gonna wipe his feet too?" <laughs> um, that's funny. She calls fishing game, gets the recording. Tony is coming in. Did you hear from my cousin in the can? Cousin being Tony B. And then here's Carmela saying, "We had the bear in our yard the other night." The fuck? 
called the Cusamanos. Tony's looking at one of those eastern black bears. Tony's intrigued. Anything with animals immediately intrigues Tony, besides the fact that it's a threat to his family. Uh, there's a part of him that's like, oh, I'd like to see this bear. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah. There's not the fear there. There's just interest. Just like, oh, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, they go outside. I should call the Cusamanos. They got their dog tied up. That thing will rip it to pieces. They have a weird name for that dog. Oh, yeah. Esther House? <laughs> Esther House. Yeah, what the fuck? That's another, like, Madagon thing. It's just like, oh, they got some fucking highfalutin name for their dog. Like, they, like Fido wasn't good enough. <laughs> Tony excoriates Carmel a little bit. You know, what are you trying to prove? You're independent. This isn't Little House on the fucking Prairie. I called the police. They called Fish and Game. You know, it was your bird feed that attracted it. Tony is wounded by that. You know, I never heard of that happening before. <laughs> yeah, when has food ever attracted animals? Yeah, come on. Weird. What does she say? Trapper Joe over here? Trapper <laughs> Joe over here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then the fish and game guys come back. Shoot. Long story short, the bear has not severely damaged property or threatened anybody directly. They can't set traps. Unbelievable. So until someone's leg is gone. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And then Tony tries to tip him. Get new lanyards for your whistles. <laughs> uh, we can't accept that. We don't have whistles. <laughs> I like Tony. This exchange gets makes me laugh every time. Ranger Rick's the light in the Timberlands. <laughs> Everybody's always gay with you. Very funny. But I think that's said because that guy kind of gives Carmela the eye, yeah? He does. Yeah. He's not, oh, a, he's yeah, not he, an unhandsome he, fellow yeah. either. No, he is yeah. quite a handsome fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tony has to emasculate him, and it's funny. That's a funny dynamic. Tony pauses. He's legitimately worried about this bear. Offers to put them up in a hotel room. Carmela mentions the coffee maker's broken. Take them to a hotel till this blows over. Lord knows he loves room service. Carmela doesn't want to disrupt AJ's routine. I'll give him room service. The end of my foot. He's an asshole. You buy him too much stuff. This is something that happens occasionally in any normal divorce too, where uh, the the parent leaving the house spoils the child out of a sense of guilt or sure. trying to make the most of. Yeah, I remember when my folks were first getting divorced. I ended up living eventually with my dad, but for the first few weeks of it, my dad would take me on a some kind of crazy fun excursion every weekend one weekend it was a circus then we're going to six flags and it was like just there's this feeling of guilt from the parent who doesn't live with the kids this is a real thing that happens oh absolutely this is also an episode where everything in tony's bag of tricks doesn't work right yeah it doesn't work with his family it doesn't work with the agents it doesn't work with dr melfi like nothing this guy can do to turn on the charm actually has the effect he wants with anybody Mm -hmm. um and it's sad to see but also it's like inevitable You yeah, know, because really he, yeah. he's run out of charm with with everyone. You know, no one's gonna fall for that anymore. There are no more emerald rings to give. I I think that's a great point. And and when the charm either just doesn't work or nobody buys it, Tony will go vinegar if the mm-hmm. honey doesn't work. Like, and that's another thing. Tony is also there's there's two Tonys. Tony had two parents, and one was maybe the charming bon vivant, and the other one could go at you. And when Tony gets backed into a corner, or just when somebody, or when, a, say, a woman says to him what is straight up, he will get mean. Mm. He will get gnarly. He will just go, he'll, like, eviscerate somebody with words, mm-hmm. you know. 
It happens um, in this very scene. Yeah. They're having what a, a normal kind of bickery bullshit fight about cough about, uh, about the you know the, the the SAT tutor and AJ's attitude and you buy them too much. This is like a normal thing, and then it cuts to the quick. I think you're the only Catholic here. I don't believe in separation, shit, and divorce. Even if my wife was going after some fucking immigrant, he's apparently called up and down the Naples coast, threatening the guy's life. Certain people see him. He's a dead man. Yeah, Tony Soprano, what a great Catholic. <laughs> so, <laughs> separation. Woof. Too far. Yeah. I think he says the Catholic thing more for her benefit. Of yeah. course. Right, right. Yeah. That's a that's a another jab at her. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, still hilarious. Right. For him, Catholicism is, I think, basically nothing. But no, he it's knows something that to hide behind to serve his it, own. It is. And it's something, but it is something she still cares about. Of course. You know, so. Another contender, I thought, for I almost chose it as the quote of the episode when he says to her, excuse me, I'm not the one who wanted it. Carmela says, there's more than one way to ask for something. Mm. That's, a, that's great. And it's a reflection of, I mean, she's got his number oh, yeah. on this shit. Not only that, but the way, but I think right on about the spending money out of guilt. And again, more than one way to ask for something also reflects the different parts of a personality and how one can sometimes be aggressive, but also passive aggressive. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe she didn't put a bullet in Tony for the drum gift. <laughs> That's the meanest thing he's done. Well, but that is also... In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even really thought of that until this episode. Not just that you're spoiling the kids, but that you're also like so noise polluting the house. There's there's also this idea that she throws out there that he is doing anything he can to make life as difficult for her as possible during the separation. Oh, it should be easy. Yeah, you know they're having this fight. I think the drums are a great way. To, in addition to the financial, you know, what are you afraid he's gonna soak you for an extra pencil? Like demanding the tutor get. <laughs> Demanding the tutor give yeah. statements or he doesn't get paid. He's squeezing her financially, but there's had to have been a part of him that's like, drums. That'll annoy the shit out of her. A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that was exactly. intentional. Because yeah. Tony's incredibly petty. And big victim. A yes, thousand. Yes. This is yeah. a guy that parked a boat outside a guy's house yes. and yeah. played yes. Dean Martin. Yep. Of, this is the same thing. He's Even... trying to make her go crazy. Even when he calls Melfi the horrible name later, he's doing it as he's like stomping out. Right? You know. Yeah. They're, yeah, it's petulant. It's, he's, he's eight. He's eight years old. Yeah, he's doing everything but say mommy, right? <laughs> Oof. Nice. Nice one, Goodman. Once and again. Then, yeah. And the scene ends on a great line. He had coffee here, Tony. That's it. And now the coffee maker sucks. How do you like them apples? <laughs> I love one of the that. last thing he says before taking all the money back. Yep. Yeah. Or you want to go to a hotel? Fine. Leaves. And then uh, we get... Tony calling to come he's back like to the, I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry. No, you're right. No, please. He's like the least open-handed, open-handed person ever. Right? Because every episode of The Sopranos, almost every episode, is Tony pulls something out of his pocket. Money, jewelry, whatever. A favor. Right? But is always the first person to withdraw that. Right? Yeah. Just always the first person to be like, I'm very generous with you. Oh, you didn't want my generosity? The only other thing I can give you is cruelty. Because... Right? There's be no neutral with him. Because it's always self-serving. Right. And if it's not... Fuck you, no gift. Right. No anything, right? It's an exchange whether it seems like it or not. Right. Moving on, Melfi gets a call, a message from Tony. I think I want to come back for therapy. Okay, great. Great. I'll take him back, no problem. So we'll come back to that briefly. But now <laughs> we meet our first of the class of 04, Feach Lamana, the legendary Feach Lamana. 
played uh, by a legendary actor. Right, Robert, Robert Loggia. Yep, great voice, great look. I'm more used to him as like a sweetheart from Big, <laughs> where he played the boss in Big. Sure. Right, right, right. Uh, this was not long after I think Independence Day was one of his big mm-hmm. movies he had recently mm-hmm. done. Um, yep. Just a, a very recognizable face. Yeah, yeah. very recognizable. Prolific great, character great character actor, actor yep. forever. Yep. You know. Is he still with us, Robert Loggia? I think he passed away. Oh, yeah, Robert he did. You're right. Yeah. yeah, that's the family guy. <laughs> but I he is Robert of this Loggia. character features of the junior class. Yes. Junior Sopranos He looks class. right at home with Junior, right. cooking them dinner. Right. Yeah. These two old guys, they're talking about, uh, he's back, you know, <laughs> talking about what's new is these is broad shaving their bushes. I went to Silvio's. It's like the Girl Scouts over there. <laughs> Unbelievable. Classy. Yeah. Keeping it classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weirdly, this reference comes back around in our next episode, but we can't get there yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he also... I, I'm not sure what is deliberate about this and not um, in terms of Feach's approach. Feach is speaking as if Junior is the one who can give him permission to get back in. Mm. And at least publicly or with Feach there, Tony and Junior allow him to think that. Yeah. That they're... Because whatever is passing between Junior and Tony is very quiet. Mm-hmm. Yes, I saw that too. This yes. happened a bit with Richie April as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where the, the, well, Feach having been away is perhaps not um, not in on the understanding that Junior's not really the boss, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. Just like Richie April, Richie April treated Junior with boss respect when he got out. Right. Same thing. And then we get that same sense from Feach. He kind of makes a face, jives Tony for interrupting one of his stories, but... They're cordial, right? There's nothing, but there is an underlying something going on here. The the respect level, the old school thing. Tony being the boss, and he's interrupts him in the middle of the story about his first day in prison. He describes it's all about setting the precedent. He uh, tells this story with such vigor, and he gets worked up. He's punching, finds the biggest black guy he could find in prison the first day in the mess hall in front of everybody. What the fuck are you looking at? You know, motherfucker! He's doing the whole thing. They're all laughing. From that day on, no one so much as looks at me cross-eyed. <laughs> uh, real or not real? The story. Um, not real. You think not? I, I I think it probably is, but I'm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good, I good think question. Not real because I think this story is his first impression mm. upon being back. Oh, gotcha. You know what I mean? That's fu- yeah. I That's like the that. precedent he wants to set. This yeah, is the exactly. precedent. Like, oh, you think I'm weak now? No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's good. I like that. Uh, that makes sense. Everybody's lying on this show at all times, so that's a safe bet. Right. Feach wants back. Liked him the- right away, by the way. I like Feach immediately. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Yeah, yeah. Funny. Uh, the- He's, he fits in well. He even certainly... With, yeah, even with some dynamics that might be what we talked about, the power dynamic, uh, fun lines when Tony says... Uh, don't step on anybody's toes. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm Fred Astaire. <laughs> right. I like that, you know. Yeah, does anybody fun. think this guy who just described that story is graceful and not going to step on anything? Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not spoiling anything here by saying that. I, I'm like, yeah, okay, you're Fred Astaire. You're, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah, I'm sure. This is going to be a seamless transition. Oh, no, I'm sure it's going to be, <laughs> I'll, I'm sure it'll be a disaster. But I, uh, the cast one of the most likable actors of all time. Yeah. And then every scene he appears in the first, you know, however many episodes, whatever, is just very likable yeah you know. i agree thus far thumbs up on feet we'll see what happens as long as you don't step on anybody's toes he's getting back in the game get a shy going i'm an entrepreneur love it 
Uh, to our listeners, you've already guessed this. Chris does a killer Feech Lamana, so we're going to get him to do it as often as possible. Please. <laughs> What's this I hear? You got a bear at the house? What's it on CNN? <laughs> people are talking. Uh, what people? Oh, I don't know. Bobby outs himself. They immediately know it's Bobby. <laughs> and uh, there is this sense that Tony... That the older guys don't respect Tony's attitude about, you know, hey, we're separated. There's this. I, I felt being putting myself in Tony's shoes, he might feel judged by this older generation for not being there to deal with the bear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that guides his decision in the back half of this episode I to agree. send somebody. I think it was this little table meeting, like, ah, this is this isn't a good look that Carmelo's just up there and I'm blowing it off. Yeah, well, just as Feech wanted to, whether that story is true or not, to set a precedent to project something, Tony has to. I think again. I think you're right, Chris. To satisfy this old time moral code, to assuage his guilt, got to do something to protect the family. I'll send um, these underlings. Mm-hmm. But as Lily said, there's no such thing as a straight up favor. Benny is also functionally a spy. Correct. I right? was going to say, what's the percentage do you think of protection versus intel? That, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, fifty-fifty. I was. Yeah. That was the number in my head too. Yeah. I think it's equal parts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cut to back to our C plot briefly here with Chris and Paulie. They're all going out to dinner. Feach's welcome home dinner, I, I would imagine this is. He's low man tonight. He's got to pay for everybody. He's taking money out of uh, AIDS purse. She's asking some pointed questions for those who will remember the position she's in. Where are you going? Who's going to be there? Where are you going? Maybe you can get away with who's going to be there. That's when, you know, what are you, a reporter? School paper? What does he say? What do you... He, he, he makes some kind of comment to the effect of, like, what, what the hell? Who cares? Why are you asking? It's business. Guys, business. So, yeah, Chris mentions that he has to pay for the dinner is, is the essential just... The system makes no sense to me. Tony describes it later. Let's talk about it when we get to that okay. scene, but, yeah, okay, well... <laughs> it's a ridiculous system. Do the people who make the least amount of money have to pay? Yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, Benny shows up, Benny Fazio, he's there to protect from the bear, Carmela doesn't want this, but like I said in the previous thing, I think Tony wants intel, Tony doesn't want word getting around that he's letting this bear attack his house and his wife, and so there's Physically a lot Physically speaking, the least threatening gangster I have ever seen. <laughs> that gun is going to be bigger than him. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. By the way, this is the first time we've seen the AK in the pillar cabinet. Since the pilot episode, another callback to the pilot, Paul, that you mentioned. And a grenade. Uh, and a fucking grenade. He's ready to go down Scarface style if he had to. What yeah. else can that be? Robert Loja's Scarface, it's another. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is crazy. Uh, Tony's, uh, if he needs to ever go to the mattresses, it's, this is his emergency cabinet here. Right. Is that the most Ginzo thing of all time? Is that you, first of all, you have a, a faux marble column looking thing in your house in the first place, but that it opens to reveal an automatic and a grenade and other weapons. <laughs> Very funny. Good point, yeah. I love it, though, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I yeah. want one. Right, we all, we all Put it in that. my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> this friggin' olive oil. The food is drenched. That's the reason it happened. <laughs> so we have uh, Silvio... Feech, Tony, Paulie, and Chris with their respective gumars. Yeah, Friday night is for the girlfriends. Right, yes, exactly. That kind of thing, That's yeah. the energy here. And they're having dinner. 
having a chat about the bear, the bear conversation. This must have gotten around now. Everyone's talking about the bear. Tolly says, you know, they had their turn. Now, now we have ours. The meteor. I thought they were all meat eaters. Meteor. Meteor. Take it easy. <laughs> God, this dialogue. <laughs> well, the girl says it's bears who can smell menstruation. Menstruation. Yeah. And, and Tony says... They can't run downhill. Tony says, no, that's jungle cats. It's jungle cats. And I was like, it's really not. <laughs> uh, it's bears. Yeah. Um, it's jungle cats. <laughs> Famously bears. Tony yeah. would definitely know over this woman, for sure, anything about menstruation. They but... can't run down. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. What I know about bear smelling menstruation is from Anchorman, so it shows what I know. Uh, uh, I mean, also me, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's two Tonys. One of them is a gynecologist. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Bears can't run downhill. For some reason, they can't do it. It's the moss. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, it's the moss. Yeah. There's always moss downhill. <laughs> Chris gets up when the check gets dropped. Paulie's like, hey, ain't you forgetting something? What? I got it last time. You get it. Big moment of tension there. Chris absconds to the bathroom. The older guys, Tony, Feech, are like, what are we doing? Are we ready to go? And so Paulie has to cave in and start paying once he starts chris comes back has thinks better of it paulie doesn't let him let him go it's done grit through his teeth pays it and then screeches up the satchel in the very next moment 860 dollars that's what you owe from last night i only have 100 bucks on me i'll pay by tonight or you start paying points this is ratcheting up the tension here so now they're bickering over who pays the tab jordan why don't you like this system Tony explains it as it doesn't make any sense. The ancient samurai had the pages who did the chores and took care right. of it. Right, actually, to some extent, I do get that, actually. But, like, it's I would get, like, oh, and for your first year, you must serve the senior members of the community. Chris has been low man for years. Right. No one has come in lower than him. Well, actually, I guess that's the key, right? No one's come in lower than him and has survived to this point, right? Uh, they were right. all fucking dead. I was thinking about that right. when I was watching the scene between him He's and He's the Tony only graduate later. of the internship it's, program. And there's nothing, there's nothing coming up the pike. Like, right. the future is bleak. Right. And one So I guess I answered yeah. my own question. There what? should have been another low man right now, but they're all fucking dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still, I understand the servant part of it, but the paying part is the part that doesn't make sense. No, because I don't get it. Isn't paying, like, a bigwig thing, like, let me take care of it, but also the guy making the least amount of money has to pay. Right. It's a, it's the guy a... that still lives in the shitty apartment that has to borrow money from his girlfriend has to pay for your dinner. That makes sense. It and you guys go out a lot. Well, it's a respect yeah. thing. It's like when you attain the level of a feature, a Tony, or a Silvio, you get your dinners paid for. By your, by, you know what I mean? I guess that's the idea. Right. I guess, but it doesn't make sense to me. But it's clearly, I think... I guess I won't be in the mob now. No, I guess <laughs> That's, <laughs> this, that's this what's going to keep yeah. us out. Yeah, yeah. Well, what Polly Fiscally, it just doesn't make yeah, sense. No. <laughs> what Polly resents is clearly Chris and his meteoric rise. Right. Whereas Polly rose a bit over time and never quite made it to the, the big, big time. Yeah. Yeah. What Chris resents, it seems, is that because of that big quick rise he's supposed to it seems take any kind of shit at any right. point including the the elements of this system that are not they don't add up right you know um so that that might be what makes this whole thing come to a boil and the fact that Polly can't resist yeah. rubbing it in i got to play that number <laughs> <laughs> 
We're touching down on the class of 04 again. New York scene here. Tony having a golf, looks like a lovely lunch after a golf game with Carmine, Johnny Sack, and Angelo Greppe, the former consigliere. We don't get to see much of Angelo here, but we get a sense he's kind of a, he's just happy to be outside. He's seems a more calm, genteel person, the kind of person you might want in a consigliere role. Mm-hmm. Under, understated, low-key. Uh, he was in there for 18 years. Tony mentions Tony B. And Angelo's like, yeah, right, we, we were best buds inside. So let's pin that little bit of information that Angelo and Tony were close in the can. No word on when Tony B's supposed to get out, but this is now the third or fourth time he's been mentioned. Tony's waiting. Carmine, having a bit of an issue. Smelling burning hair. Yes. He's off right away. There's right. something immediately off and not quite there with Carmine. He's having issues, and then he just keels over, get the egg salad out of there. He's yeah. just has a, we find out in the next scene, he has a, had a massive stroke. Somebody yeah. always die or, like, get into big, serious health trouble when eggs are happening on The Sopranos? Is that I've, heard, I've yes. heard about this on Reddit. Egg uh, eggs and The Sopranos. Ralphie the eggs are the portents of death on the show. Well, what what is an egg? Where does it come from? It's a mother. A chicken? Well, yes, but the idea that uh, sorry. a mother nurses... You know, it's, it's a symbol of death uh, in The Sopranos. Clearly, at the, to me, there's so too many instances of eggs and death on this show. And it's, uh, it's about, you know, what... what an egg comes out of a mother hen and the theme of motherhood and childhood and all of that there. I think it works on that level, but maybe it doesn't even have to be that simple. It could just be that something that they caught on to and stuck with, you know? Yeah, like I have the oranges in The Godfather. You got eggs in The mm-hmm. Sopranos. Richie right. Creel with the egg dripping off his fork as he approaches Tony. The egg's not quite cooked yet. But... Sure, yeah. I, I specifically can't get into it because it, it's for future episodes, but I, 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 was, I was on the egg thread on Reddit for this show. And then that immediately spawns the, it's just the meal prep thread, right? Uh-huh. Just stuff in and around meals, like all the show's major deaths being in and around a meal in some way, mm. right? Like everything is a Last Supper type deal. Wow. Mm. So I guess eggs in particular, though. So sure, definitely true here. So Carmine has a stroke. This is big. And of course, very Sopranos that they were talking about killing this guy not too long ago and... He dies of natural cause, like you know. He well keels over. He dies later on, but he's. Uh, it's just kind of ironic. It's a fun Sopranos irony that they didn't kill him, and he ends up. So the issue of what comes after Carmine's death is suddenly very propelled into something they had thought was going to be kicked down the road is suddenly sure. thrust into the foremost attention. But to me, this is a good mob death because this is like he didn't get killed by somebody, and he didn't get arrested. Good job, Carmine. Right. This is great. I yeah. hope you die from egg salad. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to go out in the mob, this is the way to do it. Yeah. And he's not dead, but there could be lingering health effects, which means instead of doing the hit where Johnny Sack smooths it over and takes power, now there's possibly a power vacuum. Right. Or a question about power. Johnny Sack is, a smart, is a smart gangster. He knows that's bad. Yep. What do you want, Johnny? Apology? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Whitman sample or what? Tell Johnny brings up... Uh, <laughs> You know, I forgot you leaving me in the lurch. Tony offers that excellent Whitman sampler line, a line I've used in my personal life. I, I wish I had an excuse to use that line at some point. I gotta <laughs> find one. <laughs> <laughs> we see Tony grilling Benny Fazio, who's coming to the house. Exactly what Lily mentioned earlier. He's fishing for right. information. The guys Tony posted are recon guys. Yep. They're not, he could have put anybody yep. there. You know. Then we get this uh, interesting 
moment here. We see a sex dream between Tony and Melfi. And the viewer's mind has to immediately go to Tony. Tony's the guy whose dreams we see. Well, funny enough, it's a little male gazy. So you're like, oh, I assume a Tony sex dream, right? Yeah. Right. And, uh, beep, alarm goes off. This is Melfi. So that adds an interesting twist to this. I loved it. I did too. I that's such it. a good little twist. Yep. Yeah. That's a fun moment. Fun there twist. That it's fun twist. Because it, it immediately adds another layer of complexity that both of these characters have a desire underneath all of this for something to happen there. There's at least a, a physical chemistry going on. Also, she's on top, like kind of on top of him, riding mm. him. Yeah. So it's like a dominance play there. And also it reminded me a little bit of that statue. Mm. You know? Mm. The goddess, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Also, yeah. we cut right from her waking to the door opening to the office, mm. right? I yeah. think so. Where Tony has showed up in a wonderful looking suit. Yeah. The whole thing. This is the first Tony, mm. right? Mm. She looks great this season, by the way. She does. She's yeah, a beautiful, beautiful she's a beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. Yeah, always, always a beautiful woman. Um, but yeah, there's something interesting. Tony's like, his eyes are closed. <clears throat> He's very docile in this scene, and she's <clears throat> taking charge. And I think that's important, though. It's the, uh, it's it's something of a trope in literature and storytelling. And, it, it, you know, some would even say in life, there's a certain degree of truth to this idea. But the woman taming the beast, you know what I mean? The the yep. the, the idea that I, I, I can fix him, I can tame him. I think that's kind of built in there that she still feels like she can help him in addition to being sexually attracted to him. So we're going to get more into it in a second. You know, it's actually, it's it's even more important than that too because how many times around this microphone have we discussed like how much attraction is on her side? You mm. know, we, we know it's there. Uh, you know, it, it, we've never had it so boldly confirmed before. Mm. Right? Yeah. Not really. I mean, not since she stood on the toilet bowl. I mean, you know, right. I wasn't sure how mutual it is, you know? Yeah. It's a bit more mutual We've than We've had extensive debate about that. Even after all this time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think she's also, I think I think all that's true. I think another factor here is that Melfi has been on a journey uh, over the last season and a half of taking back a lot of self-possession since the rape. Right. Yeah. And it's among many reasons that I admire her for the way she goes about this, mm -hmm. even though understanding she has to press him off. Um, she tries to do it gently. She gets no thanks for it. But um, it's a process that she's been through. And I, um, one of the reasons that she gets to a place where Tony just cannot is that she's honest with herself mm. about a lot of that attraction, where it came from, understanding, as you said, Chris, that it's in part about an archetype, the dangerous alpha male, that sort of thing. Mm. So Tony comes into therapy looking very nice. He's dressed in a lovely suit. And Melfi sits down and Tony does not and immediately is thrown off. We don't have to, this is a long scene and I don't want to necessarily dissect it line by line. But let's talk about it here. He says, you know, the real reason is I came here and I want to take this relationship in that other direction. Why'd you have to be underhanded? I don't find that appealing, frankly. I'll pay for the hour that goes out saying, fuck that. Tony talks about Dr. Phil and how he could do it if he wanted to. It's mostly about getting sued. I wanted to know, I was wondering how I was going to approach this. Close down the place. She has lunch. Get, hire a mandolin player. <laughs> the mandolin. The mandolin. Yes, the mandolin. But this is where we've been most honest with each other. Tony asks, so that said, if you don't like me, to cut Lily hates this. Look at the face. Well, where, we, where we've been the 
most honest with each other. That's the function of therapy. Yeah. And he's never been honest. Yeah. <laughs> and right. she hasn't been honest with like herself. Well, yeah, because yeah, she's the therapist. It, well, that's the baloney. fun twist of it is they haven't really been honest with each other in here fully. There's always secrets between them. Right. Because he can only her, talk uh, so much. Yeah. Tony too or whatever. Yep. And you're right. This is transference uh, at its best. This is this happens. You you can Google transference, folks. It's a real thing that happens where a, a patient of a psychiatrist falls in love with their doctor because they're this sympathetic person. Exactly as Melfi describes. I've been a broad sympathetic woman you know listening to you and i've been kind and non-judgmental that's what a therapist is supposed to do and sometimes because that is missing in a lot of people's lives particularly tony's life look at his private time with his girlfriend uh you transfer these qualities onto your therapist but he knows really other than what vin mccasey was able to dredge up in his uh (laughs) ill-conceived spying in season one he doesn't know terribly much about her other than what she has volunteered. Yeah, he's just, he has filled in what he doesn't know. Correct. Right, with the projection of this yep. broad, gentle woman. To Tony's credit, she's a beautiful woman. I can understand a physical attraction. But he, you know, he, he speaks to her as if he's in love. He's done this before. He's outwardly declared, he I love you. Love. Yeah, right. He sure does. And uh, he's coming on strong. I want your skin, your mouth, your eyes. And then the kiss, which is very uncomfortable, but also scintillating. It's it's a dual thing here, too, talking about two things. On one hand, she's we know she's attracted to him, so it's not out of line to say there's a part of her that almost could have crossed the line with him here. But at the same time, the way, Mel, the way Lorraine Bracco plays this moment when he finally breaks the kiss, her delivery of the line, don't do that, is simultaneously like, don't do that, I don't want to be tempted. But also... This is a woman who's been raped before. Right. Mm. Don't do that. Don't kiss me against my will. There's a little bit of both of that in there. And the fact that that is kind of all mixed into the cocktail is great acting, great writing, very well done. He also hears both. Yes. Yes. And backs off. Right. Yeah. He backs off because he heard the really the sincere don't do that. He also hears the there was some wanting in there. Mm -hmm. He hears both. Yeah. Out of respect for this office. What a weird thing to say. Yeah. He's so fucking weird in this scene. Yeah. Well, he's trying to be something he's not. Well, there's just so much pretending. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she knows him better than pretty much anyone. Yeah. It was like, dude, you should have just... He says... You should have just come here as yourself. But unfortunately, Tony doesn't know who that is. Mm. He says there's another Tony Soprano. That's the one I want to show you. Operative word being show. Um, right? I mean, it's not mm. quite... It's what he wants to project, but... And then he delivers maybe the most fascinating and disturbing line in the scene. Forget about the way Tony Soprano makes his way in the world. That's just to feed his children. There's two Tony Sopranos. That's the one I want to show you. Uh, Paul, uh, is that a preposterous thing for him to say? <laughs> um, it's a preposterous thing for me to hear. <laughs> right. uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, again, I feel weird about how much I empathize with this character. But yeah, there's what you want to put out into the world and... Um, there's what you try to hide, and uh, the way that 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 is also, but I think reflected in the quote that I chose from earlier in the scene for our pull quote when Tony, she says my training tells me to go pretty quickly to you want to come back to therapy, he stands up. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> come on, will you? Why can't I do something that's just for me for once? And she says yeah. it would be for you, and it's such an interesting question for that character to pose because so much of his life 
is self-service, is the gangster self-interested model, but also what are the things that you do ostensibly for yourself that are also self-sabotage? I have the same addictions as Tony. Food, for example. Um, so when I make like a big hot fudge sundae for myself, is that for me or is that closing myself off from mm -hmm. the world? Similarly, when Tony does favors for people, as Lily pointed out, isn't it self-serving? So he's so, he's such a fucking mess that he doesn't even quite understand, I think, the desires and what he's seeking out. Mm. Um, because he's not, and he's not just two guys. He's one guy who contains multitudes. So yeah. I think all of this is getting confused and thrown together in this scene with these two characters who have their secrets and denials. But his are just, of course... I think both deeper and he's not ready or willing to quite wrestle with them. Even if he thinks he is, he tells Melfi later on, it's okay, bring it at me. But when she presses, it breaks. Yeah. And that's when you get the bear. Mm. Yes. Quick little scene here. Little Paulie <clears throat> watching out. He's, he's rotating shifts with Benny. What a miserable detail this has to be. This has to be like, you know, someone who dreams of being a police officer their whole life and then just spends 12 years... Mm -hmm waving traffic through or something no, right. it's just like they must especially in the pre-cell phone era what a miserable job this must be paulie's freezing he goes inside he's <laughs> he's abandoning his duties to sit in the bathroom fun, fun little bit of trivia here the tv guide he picks up and starts reading actually has the sopranos on the cover of it oh, that's oh, that's funny. it's an issue oh, of tv I didn't yeah notice that. well it's, it's hard to see but people i, I think online oh, have like, zoomed into yeah it's a fun little meta thing there and then Melfi with Elliot. This, these scenes always tickle me. I enjoy Elliot Kupferberg. Who can, who can blame me, really? Uh, <laughs> she's describing what happened, and and Elliot's like, "Should you tell the police?" You know. Uh, what? Yeah. Jesus, Elliot. He's a sociopath, Jen. Uh, unpracticed in not getting what he wants. And uh, now that you not wrong, right? Correct. And now that you're. You've rejected him. What you, you know now that you're no longer in therapy. What use are you to him except for sex? <laughs> wow, which is a crass, blunt way to say this, but I don't know that he's entirely wrong either. He's no, he's not wrong. Yeah, we like to poke fun at Elliot, but he's been saying Tony's a sociopath since season one. Yeah, this is not new. Yeah, I, I think Kupferberg, though a buffoonish character, he usually says something that is good or true, but he says it in such a way where it's just it's totally undigestible. For yeah, her, correct. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of a lot of political figures. They say something that <laughs> right. is true and needed, but also like you're annoyed by their smug delivery. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe there's a mutual. First, Melfi goes into this. At first, they found him sexy, alpha male. But then over the years, the ugliness I saw, I heard, there's a mutual sympathy there. Maybe it's just the Italian thing. That's, that's something, too. Again, yes, yes. He's not. Elliot is the most on point I've seen him in a while in this scene. She feels kinship with Tony. Yeah. We've seen that so much. Um, he's not wrong to bring it up. Yeah. You know, I think part of her thinking that she can even help Tony, I think some of that is born from feeling like you share blood or land or or a country a faraway country with a person a heritage you know I, I think there is something to that i think elliot's right to bring it up mm. you know you think you know this man you you don't is what he keeps trying to tell her in all of these scenes cumulatively through the seasons mm. yeah. and the last time we see her in this episode there'll, there'll be this shocked look plastered on her face where maybe that that realization <laughs> of the that the bear 
just being right there in your face that she hadn't quite seen before. That's what she gets shown. Yeah. In that last moment. Absolutely. Chris and Tony have this meeting in the back of the Bing. I love this scene for many reasons. It's just a great boss, underling, uncle, nephew scene. But we've we've discussed this idea that Chris has to pay for the dinners. Uh, I, I do want to mention one of my favorite line exchanges in this episode. <laughs> Chris uh, is invited to sit down. says, this is about the Easter baskets. <laughs> Tony says, I don't know what that is. And to tell you the truth, I don't want to know. <laughs> I want to know what fuck up happened with Chris and a bunch of Easter baskets that he was so afraid of. <laughs> what a great throwaway. Yeah. That's really fucking... I love that line. But then it, we get to the heart of it. Paulie says, you chiseled them out of a dinner. I chiseled them? He said that? And uh, Chris pleads his case. It ain't right that I have to pay all the time. And I love how over this thing Tony is already. Yeah. Tony's just so over this this rivalry, <laughs> this whatever this is. Yeah. Yep. You finished. You paid. I tell you, you don't have to pay no more. Tony's rant's funny here. He talks about uh, Richie April and whoever fat fucking Jerry Anastasia and... and uh, how if they wanted steak, those guys killed me at Benihana and forget it. They wanted steak. I put a new wing on Peter Luger's cigars, brandy, champagne. Could have bought a fucking plane. And uh, Chris drops this hilarious line. I hear you, Tone, but that was before inflation. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many other gangster stories are like guys talking about inflation? It's right. So yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah. Uh, it's samurai things. We talked about this dynamic. That's a sign of respect they wish they were as fucking cool as samurai right <laughs> cheer up one day some kid will be paying for your dinners is the message tony chooses to impart it's the same thing as when he uh when chris complained to tony in season three about paulie sniffing adriana's panties and searching his belongings it's like listen you're you're cl- you're rising fast why do you think that is because i'm your nephew you got it so buck up kind of thing it's the same deal here it's like Stop complaining. One day it'll be you. So we'll see how that bears out. But Chris is definitely not happy with that news. And uh, cut to Atlantic City. (laughs) We get the little bit of radio DJ to setting the place. And uh, they're having dinner somewhere in AC. And Paulie is doing everything he can to rack up this tab. Uh, <laughs> sending Crystal to the women. I've enjoyed looking at you all night. Get some fucking glasses, he says, under his breath. <laughs> she don't want any dessert. Paulie just throwing these glances at Chris. Uh, Chris is just stewing. They all get up. They're ready to go play blackjack. See at the $100 table. Just another way of referencing that money is no object to these guys, but they're making Chris pay for this extravagant lobster dinner. And uh, my friend here, I'll take the check. This waiter is such a nice, pleasant guy. He must have done a great job. Presents the check, eleven eighty four. <laughs> I gotta play that number. <laughs> Chris pays it, and he's storming out. He doesn't want to say anything. He's gonna regret. Paulie can't leave well enough alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I could use after me like that. A piece of ass. Why don't you fuck yourself? Save, save some money. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. And uh, stop trying to bait me, Paulie. You know what my problem is. And he goes through all this shit. The shrimp cocktails you made everybody get. The Leonese fucking potatoes you didn't even touch. And then after, and on top of that, you send those skanks a bottle of Crystal. <laughs> I was being a gentleman, Chrissy. You should try it sometime. These guys are really <laughs> self-aware. <laughs> Go for it, Paulie. Your big fucking moment. Paulie's ready to lunge at him once again. And the waiter creeps up. This guy should have 
I mean, I understand he got royally fucked out of a big tip here. $16 uh, for doing this meal. But, oof, this poor guy. Yeah, what he should have made, what, 220 on that? Uh, yeah. At couple, least, yeah. yeah. So this is a major... I get it. I get why he's upset, but this guy should have uh, maybe just considered a new line of work or something. <laughs> this poor guy. If you didn't already get the yeah. clientele that you were serving, like, understood who these guys were, surely when you see them having a fight in the parking lot, you gotta be like, this is not the time. You gotta read the room. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, it, uh, I feel for the server, but of he's, course, of course he's wrong. I mean, $240 and you got 16 I'd be pissed. Of course. We'd all be pissed. I don't know. Yeah, you know, you got to read the room. Those I guys. have a family to support. Then go back inside before you get hurt. Right. <laughs> uh, go piss it away at Blackjack. Fucking assholes. We get a legendary, oh, from Paulie there. Uh, but this, uh, this is... This is about as dark comedy as, as you can get here. They hit this guy with a brick, and he starts having a seizure. Don't they have medicine they're supposed to take these assholes? Chrissy, this guy's fucked, fucked up. up. <laughs> I, I hate to admit I was laughing during this, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. This is dark, black. This darkly is, funny. This is pitch black comedy. Uh, they look around. He's still going, this asshole. They'll tell him we hit him with a brick. <laughs> Paulie shoots him in the chest, grabs the money. That's my money, Paulie. <laughs> <laughs> they knew what they were doing here, this poor waiter, but fuck, this was very darkly funny. And uh, they bolt off. So this has escalated big time. Tip your waiters, everybody. That's right. Tip your server. Oh, yeah. I mean, John got a lobster roll to go for Jenny. This is just great. Tony has a fun conversation in the midst of this with Silvio about Melfi. Uh, you know, he's kind of sharing it, but... He's noticeably somber. Yeah. Um, even though they're in Atlantic City, which, like, for these guys is Disneyland. Right. Because there's women, there's gambling, there's alcohol. Mm -hmm. So why isn't Tony in the joy of it? And he, you know, it's mm -hmm. a roar. Can you believe that? So, yeah. Cut to Carmine in the hospital. Carmine Jr., who, we I don't think we mentioned the scene back when it happened, but was called in from Florida. I like that little dig he gets in at John. Hey, John boy, how's the weather? Like, he loves busting his ball. People in Florida love doing that. By the way, I have relatives and friends in Florida who are just always like, hey, how you doing up there in cold New Jersey? <laughs> but, uh, you know, f fuck you. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, too. <laughs> and, yeah, so he's there crying. I love him so much. I can't do shit. He's comatose or whatever. He's, he's not with us. And, uh, you know, you were like another son to him. He tells him, we have this nice uh, moment between Johnny Sack and little Carmine. So uh, they're, they're bonding over this. But I think anybody who has any sense of drama whatsoever can tell that uh, Carmine dying has huge implications on the world of the show. We'll yeah. get there. Here they're just putting a peg in it, but we'll, right. it'll guide us. Correct. Yeah. Paulie and Chris call. And, I, I again, I have to laugh, you know, the whole idea of, <laughs> in my head, I'm just thinking like, oh man, yeah, good thing you guys patched it up. You know, something they're talking about like, God, you know, one of us could have got hurt for Christ's sake. Let's bury the hatchet. I agree. They just had this crazy traumatic experience where they just killed this guy. I love the idea of like, yeah, something bad could have happened if, if, with this right. guy. Yeah. But something bad did happen. It is a very sweet conversation, but I think I believe not a word. Oh, yeah. You know, it's sweet. I, it's sweet. It's sweet that they're trying to bury this, but I just am also like... Well, it's not coming from a genuine place. Right, it's, but I'm also like, until next time. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's, whoa, we can't go on like this and function. 
the resentment is never off. It's always going to be a simmer. It's right. just a matter of when it boils. Yeah, the resentment is at the same simmer as whatever it is in Tony that comes out. Fuck you. You're a fucking cunt. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I this this scene is super. First of all, the book that Chris is reading is, on, <laughs> is like an AA book, and so Chris's Chris's recovery process is about as real and genuine and dedicated to as I guess Tony's has been, and or basically as self-serving. Also, it happens over the phone, but what this conversation always reminds me of, speaking of TV tropes, is like a 1980s bad sitcom where like two of the main characters get into like a big fight. It would be like on Full House, Uncle Jesse and Dan Tanner like get into such a big fight you think Uncle Jesse like might move out. And then at the end, they get back together and they have what in sitcoms they call the moment of shit, which is two characters saying, oh, you know, I really love you right and how important you are oh yeah me too and then they hug it out and the audience goes oh yep. and that's this scene except they killed a guy <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like what the fuck yeah um, yeah they killed a guy and all this is as jordan said just until next time yeah yeah they agree to split the tab so oh nice yeah that's that that at least a compromise has been reached <laughs> this this poor man didn't die in vain or actually he very much did <laughs> That's the definition of dying in vain. Yeah. Yeah. Just another fucking civilian <laughs> crunched out of the wheels of these guys. I mm-hmm. mean, just, yeah. you know, how many has it been? How many more will be? Somehow it, it seems like even worse that they didn't really mean to. It's just what happened. Like, first the guy comes out, then they're saying fuck off. Then Chris just gets angry because he insulted them, hits him with a brick, and then it's the simplest thing just to shoot him. And rob <laughs> yeah. him. Yep. <laughs> and Paul, when you say that, it makes me feel less than. <laughs> Melfi's group therapy scene <laughs> these are the uh, as Tony referred to them in the happy wanderer the jerk offs and douchebags I see leaving this office <laughs> recalled back that to me it's like there's definitely a sense of judgment Tony has over these people uh, <laughs> and uh, they're leaving this evening group therapy and Tony waits for them all to step out and he's got uh, tickets to Bermuda a nice Bermuda trip. Well, I couldn't use him. I've never heard Tony go into that register. So this is, a, this is an interesting new uh, thing for him. What the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you I, doing? I turned down a lovely dinner invitation, and you think I'll go away with you. Lily warned us earlier about turning down Tony's gifts. Mm-hmm. And she, she speaks frank, frankly here. Listen, Tony, I'm, I'm not going to go out with you. It's just something I'm not going to do. You just have to trust that I know what's right for me. Very reasonable, more blunt than the doctor spiel she gave last time. And uh, Tony can't leave well enough alone here. It's like, uh, but it's not just the ethics stuff, is it? He has to press. You don't don't get it. I want you. I'm flattered. I'm not interested in flattering you. Tony encourages her to just give it to him. Give it to him straight. She's hesitant for obvious reasons. But you know what this scene reminded me of? Uh, I'm sure all of us ha- have seen or at least talked to women on dating apps. Not like, not. I don't mean on the dating app. I've talked to women friends who have used dating apps, Thank Lily. Thank you for I, I, got, I got quite a glance. What are you doing with eight dating apps? <laughs> we never saw Lily again after that episode. <laughs> 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 on the podcast. No, what I mean to say is any woman who's been on a dating app may have experienced the guy who messages them, hey, you're beautiful, let's hook up or whatever. And then the second you're not interested... They're like, well, fuck you, you're ugly anyway. Oh, a thousand percent. That shit. Oh, okay, sure. This is like 
Tony was like the uh, this this room was like oh Tony's like the OG of that that guy on the dating mm-hmm. app who sends you some sexually suggestive message wants you one minute and then the second you reject him oh you're garbage you're ugly whatever yeah that's not just dating apps that's everywhere yeah, but, yeah. so there you go so yeah uh, but that's that same energy Tony's given off here uh, but you know he wanted to show her a different side of Tony Soprano here you go but she gives this amazing speech here I love, love what she tells him. Uh, you know, when you were in therapy, I never judged you, but in a rela- personal relationship, I don't think I could sit silent. Our values are just very different. You don't like my values. Honestly, no. Like what? She doesn't want to go there. It's okay. It's okay. She mentioned previously she wants to preserve the option for him to come back, but this is one of those things that makes it harder for him to come back because the key tenet of therapy is you don't judge your patient. But she has... She, he He's... he's begging her to judge him at this point essentially tell me what it is get to the heart of the matter and she does you're not respectful of women i don't think you're respectful of people i don't like people maybe you like them i don't know you take what you want from them by force i couldn't live like that i couldn't bear witness to violence or fuck you (laughs) just out of the blue cuts her off she's uh jaw dropped storms out slams the door calls her a cunt (laughs) And she's just left agog at this reaction, but yeah. she poked and she got the bear. Got that bear. Got the bear. He said earlier, I don't know how deep we went into it, but he said again that line that I thought was like kind of crazy. Um, forget the Tony Soprano you think you know. Forget the Tony. Forget how the way Tony Soprano makes his way in the world. That's just to feed his children. Um, I want to show you this other Tony. When she later does this and says to him that she can't forget it and she can't countenance it she won't sit silent it summons the other tony yeah um that's when she gets it you know but anyone who says no gets that other tony one way or another carmela certainly does right this is a person who is not used to rejection in that kind of way and if he does you better be careful Despite the fact that he can be so terrible, I still found a shred of feeling for him in this next scene. He wanders in. I mean, this whole ship, and by the whole ship, I mean everyone in the show, feels so rudderless and aimless right now. Everything just feels so off the rails. Tony just wanders in to the house. Benny is in the office talking to his girlfriend, comes out. He gives Benny the night off. Good night, Mrs. S. He leaves. And uh, he and Carmela don't really say much. He just goes out there. With the gun and the cigar. Do you want coffee? She calls out to him. I think that's funny given that they had an argument about how the coffee sucks now. (laughs) No. And we are are taken out. Same song we are brought in with. Tony out there with the gun waiting for the bear. Like in the last scene where he showed up to talk about this eastern black bear, he evocatively is in his black leather jacket. And that's it for season five, episode one. That's our premiere. Any final thoughts on the last sequence here and then the episode proper? Well, the episode is called Two Tonys, but I mean, uh, as Paul has, has said on this episode, or ha- as we've all been talking about, there are there are many Tonys. There are two Tonys, sure. There's the one in the light suit, uh, looking great, saying the things you want to hear. And then there's the Tony in the black leather jacket, who, you know, does the bad stuff and says the bad things, right? That, that There's two Tonys. There's all those Tonys in between, and there's all those Tonys unseen in this episode. But there's also two everybody, 
right? Mm. There are two Carmellas. There are two AJs. We see them both. There are two... Uh, really, uh, pick your character. The Sopranos is a, a series so well-defined in its ability to show multiple facets of every character. Every character has multiple uses. They have multiple desires. Uh, I, I think this is a great Melfi episode to yeah. show you that there's there's more to her than just her her professional desire to help Tony Long, that there is some, maybe some things that she wants for herself that she has the discipline to deny herself that Tony does not. Um, it's just a, a great episode, and I think a smart episode to begin with, with um, this uh, character depth exploration. Uh, it, it's an interesting opening episode in that regard. Uh, I, I think this is a, a brilliant episode because it, it has this nice light touch, it does expand the Sopranos universe by introducing these other characters, but also it immediately tells us, hey, you think we're going to go wide this season. We're actually going to go deep, mm. uh, which is, is a really cool kickoff. Agreed. Well said. That was a big thing for me, too, that there's this image of the two, but it's more like the multitude. But something also, one of the things that kicked off this thought and brought me all the way back to season one again was when we called one episode in season one Mandolin. And Tony brings up the mandolin again. And I think another thing that she's, Melfi says to him is, you don't respect people. Tony seems to respect animals more maybe because they abide a certain nature. And is what Tony wants to project, the gentleness and the airiness and the, fam the familial connection of the ducks. But what he denies and what is maybe more foundational to him is the lone scavenger brute the bear mm. that's very well said you guys mm. are killing it lily great job this episode paul great job jordan great job i'm your host chris tomato great job chris thank you uh, <laughs> good job, Chris. Good no, job, everyone. Well, and good job, everyone. Oh, yes, yes. And, and a you. good job listening. And you at home or in your car. Yeah, we and we uh, thank you for being patient with us. We had a lot going on. It was the holiday season. Crazy time of year. We're all back to our busy lives. This was started as a pandemic project for us, and we're all kind of back in the flow of life. And uh, so thank you all for being patient with us. We're back for season five. We're going to be... Uh, Doing up uh, Rat Pack next. Very exciting. Season, season 5, Episode 2. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will be back for Rat Pack. How do you like them apples? <laughs>